Hello, welcome back to Strong Dads podcast. We're back again for another week. Uh, Chris, how are you? Very well, thank you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chris is- I was going to say, yeah, I'm going to have to do something like that. We've got another guest on this week who's also called Chris, but we'll I'll just be that in a minute. So, yeah, Sorry. Jones, how are you? Yeah, very well, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thanks, mate. Neely? Uh, flying, mate. Buzzing. <laughs> Good. Um, so, yeah, so I've already let the cat out of the bag that we've managed to... Uh, con somebody else to come on to our uh, podcast as a guest for another week. So, um, well, Jones is actually pretty excited about this one today. So we've got um, the UK's first uh, male uh, baby and toddler sleep consultant. He's also the dad of two young boys. Uh, we've got Mr. Chris McFadden with us today. Chris, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Andrew. How are the rest of you? Yeah, well, good, thanks. Yeah, I'm good. How are you, Andy? I didn't remember anyway. No one asked you. I, I did. Yeah, yeah Jones, Jones asked him. I'm, yeah, you uh, did, didn't you? Yeah. Really? yeah I no one really asked Rimmer how Rimmer is. It's always like, Neely, how are you doing? Jones, are you all right? And then he just goes away with the questions, but... You know. uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm fine, thanks, mate. Thank you for thinking of me. Yeah. Appreciate yeah, that. Nice, <laughs> the, the glue that holds us together, yeah? I am. Yeah, I'm, the, sticky, mate, the sticky substance, that is. Today, I'm the one who's going to be, like, gagging you and keeping you quiet a bit so uh, we can actually listen to Chris and it doesn't turn into... Uh, you trying to get tips to how to get Freddie to sleep. <laughs> so, go on, let's get started before we uh, keep him sat there quite any longer. So, Chris, go on, um, start us off. How did you end up becoming a sleep consultant? Where's, where's your story start? First of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm really excited to be on your, your episode this week. Um, basically, the story around uh, sleep consulting for me started about two... Well, I really started two and a half years ago when, when my toddler, well, now toddler, Teddy, uh, was born and he wasn't a very good sleeper. But the actual business of being a sleep consultant started about six months later, so about nearly two years ago, when we could no longer do anything about his sleep other than basically kind of um, suffer with it and we had to, to hire a sleep consultant. Um, he, was, he was such a lovely baby, but he just would not go to sleep on his own. Uh, we basically had to feed him, cuddle him to sleep. And yeah, a lot of babies are like that. But what, what was happening was our was our bedtime was always taken up with them, basically um, being kind of cuddled to sleep and we'd, we'd have to wait till he was in time, deep enough sleep before we could even attempt to put him in the cot. So after many, many long hours of bedtimes and many, many long hours of sleepless nights and kind of trying to get him back to sleep during the night, not having a clue what to do, whether we fed him, didn't feed him, whether we rocked him, patted him, whether it was on mum, whether it was on dad, back and forth, back and forth, till he just decided to go back to sleep. We we basically couldn't take it anymore. He'd, he'd basically beaten us to, to a pulp. Uh, and we hired a, a sleep consultant. Now, she came in, she really helped us, um, basically changed our lives. But I thought, I can do this. It was very routine-based. It was uh, very structural, uh, very really all about consistency. Um, not trying to oversimplify what I do, but there is a consistency to it. And I thought, I can really do this. Plus, she didn't really help as much as I would have liked. So um, armed with information and then going away and doing training, I decided to, to set up the business and then become, yep, the first and only, I think, uh, males... Uh, baby and toddler sleep consultant in the UK and Ireland. 
Um, and I wanted to do it differently to how many sleep consultants out there are doing it. And, and one of that is one of those things is around my my service and basically how I interact with my clients. But that's how it all started nearly, nearly two years ago. A lot of the business was um, was word of mouth uh, around the local area. So I'm in, I'm based in Kent, despite the the, the strange accent. Um, I moved down from from Glasgow. Oh, God. 2006, I was I was 21, 20. I'm showing my age now, but I was I was just coming up for 22. Um, and I, I graduated from university and I moved down to the, the big bad world of London. I thought I'll, I'll live live there for a couple of years, get a good CV, and, and move back. And after about six months, realised I was never moving back. But uh, I digress. <laughs> I eventually managed to make my my way out to Kent uh, in the countryside and and what I think is a, a nicer way of living for for bringing up kids. And, um, but a lot of my business was around the local area, uh, very much in-home uh, support. And then the global pandemic that we're still living in is all like uh, like a steam steam train. We just didn't see it coming. Uh, a lot of people didn't see it coming, as we, we all know. And um, <laughs> basically, the, the business really transitioned from that, from being very in-home, very word-of-mouth, kind of low volume, um, to what it is now, which is very much online, um, virtual virtual training, virtual support. Uh, I do a lot of my consultations on Zoom. Um, it's it's a great way to do business. Um, and because of that, I decided to, to transition from the, the word of mouth onto to social media and um, really enhance my website, become, uh, get onto Instagram and try and get a bit of a following, try and do the same on Facebook. Uh, and here we are today. I'm now getting on, invited on podcasts to, to speak about <laughs> what, what I've been doing, and this is this is definitely one of the highlights. This is definitely one of the highlights so far. Hey, it's so crazy. The only one guest we've had on so far that said that this is a highlight from. So go on. So I kick us off with that. So so say well, I'm going to ask Jones's question here probably. So if somebody comes to you and they're, they're kind of I guess where you were where their kids kind of beating them to the a pulp with their like lack of sleep. They're drained, low on energy, out of answers, and have got probably a list as long as their arm of questions for you. How do you go about, I guess, like putting a, a plan or a strategy, whatever, in place for them? So as I, as I mentioned, the most of my business is, is now online. So the, what, what, what I offer is my, my most popular package now is my virtual sleep package. So how that works is uh, people typically contact me, whether it's through social media or through booking, uh, the booking part of my website. And what we'll do is we'll generally have a, an initial consultation, which is free. It's just a, a chat for them to, to kind of give me an overview of, of the problems that they have, um, get to know me a little bit as well and see if it's, I'm somebody that they would like to work with because I'm not quite in their house most of the time, um, certainly not at the moment with the with the pandemic, but they have to like me. They have to understand and agree with what I'm saying. So it's a, it's a little bit of kind of two-way, um, making sure that they want to work with me and also whether I can definitely help them. It's definitely sleep-related. It's definitely some not health-related and it's yeah. definitely something I can help with. And then um, it's, it's really up to them, assuming that I can help them. It's up to the, the, the individual if, if they want to then go ahead. If they do so, then basically I, I offer a, or I do a one-hour consultation approach where for that consultation, I will um, ask for kind of between two and four days' worth of routines, so sleeping routine, feeding routine, play routine, really just trying to get a day in the life or a couple of days in the life of the child. Um, that allows me to get 
as much information I can because it's not always just sleep related. A lot of it is sleep related, but sometimes there's an, and it's not like you're not going to fix a baby's or child or a toddler's sleep by changing how they eat, but it's an element of it. Nutrition, and then you boys will know as, as much as anything how nutrition feeds in. Is you're not going to get fit by just changing how you eat, but it's it's a big element of that, and it's the same with the, the sleeping. Um, the, the changing the nutrition around or um, changing the t- stimulation levels around aren't going to necessarily make a baby sleep, but it will definitely aid. It will definitely be a significant contributor. So those routine logs are really important to, to getting a, an insight into the, the child's kind of daily daily routine. So I use that information in the consultation. Uh, I have general questions as well, and then after that consultation, I'll go away and write a, a bespoke sleep training program that's really specific to that family's needs, the family's lifestyle, whether it's a seven o'clock bedtime, whether it's um, mum and dad working, whether it's a single parent um, family. So trying to really incorporate all the things that are, are important and, and specific to that family. And then as I, as I touched upon, um, when the, one of the reasons that I wanted to create this business and, and do it differently was the service level. Um, I basically provide unlimited support. So once once my client starts a program, I'm there with them the whole time. And I think that's really important in the sleep world. Um, we're dealing with babies and toddlers. They, are, they, they, they absolutely love consistency. They need consistency. They need transparency. You need to, especially toddlers, you need to tell them what's happening or they'll, they'll throw a, a tantrum. So they love transparency. They love predictability. They love consistency. Um, but... They're also inconsistent and unpredictable at the same time themselves. So they're, they're, they're slightly hypocritical little things, um, <laughs> and because because of because of that, um, you'll you'll always hit obstacles in sleep training. Yes, I'll have a program that's that's for you, and we'll try and stick to that structure as much as possible. But you're going to hit obstacles, and that's where I come in. I'm, I'll, I'll support my clients all the way through. Um, most of the consultants do kind of two weeks of unlimited email and a follow up call, whereas I'm very much. I'm there every bedtime. What's up? I can't. I, I never. I always say to my clients, I can't promise you that I'll be there at two o'clock in the morning when the baby wakes because my children sleep, fortunately or unfortunately. Um, but I'm always there at bedtime. I'm always there during the day for naps and, and questions. I'm I'm pretty responsive in WhatsApp. I get group chats with the, the family. So that's what I do differently to a lot of um, sleep consultants and, and certainly my clients are really really appreciative of that approach because again. We hit obstacles during it, uh, and I'm there to help them through that rather than kind of helping them three, four, five days down the line when they've kind of figured out themselves or things have got worse. Yeah. That, that sounds pretty wicked, and, you know, that that's sort of sounds a bit of sort of above and beyond regards to service. Yeah, credit for that. How, how does that impact on you and your sort of bedtime routines with your kids and your time with kids if you're – sort of putting yourself there for other parents, helping them, or it's two o'clock in the morning, whatever it may be, you know, that's obviously prime time. It's something that maybe dads try and get involved in a little bit more because they might have been at work, you know, while the, while the wife's at home looking after the kid or the partner. We get back and we want to get involved in that sort of bath time, bedtime routine. Have you had to sacrifice time with your own kids or have you managed to fit things around it's a, it's a really, really good question. I think two things. One is being at home allows me to spend a lot more time with my kids. So what I typically do with regards to my, my working week, I don't work Monday to Friday with this job. 
I do Monday to Sunday, basically seven till nine o'clock, seven in the morning till nine at night. And that sounds a bit extreme, but obviously I'm not busy every hour of, of every day. So by stretching the calendar out, the weekly calendar, it allows me to have um, much more flexibility in my days. So I've got clients dotted around all, all week. And then I get to spend more time with my kids during the day. So I don't necessarily need to think like a, a, a I guess, a stereotypical nine to five dad who is coming home and is only getting to see their kids. And I've been there, I've, I've done that, but I don't necessarily have to do that now because I'm, a, I'm there, I'm around a lot more. So bath time, for example, used to be my big thing, bath and bed. Um, whereas now it's very much shared between my wife and I because I, I get to see my kids a lot more during the day. Also, our bedtime is very predictable, which is which is one of the biggest um, positives, one of the biggest benefits of having sleep-trained children is that we have such predictability during the day when things go right, which most of the time they do. But I've got a, I've got two and a half year old, as I mentioned. I've got a seven month old. The seven month old sleeps three times a day. Um, we know what time the naps are. Uh, every single day within kind of 15 or 20 minute windows, they, they're pretty spot on. We know when the toddler sleeps during the day, we get our, our downtime at, around lunchtime for a couple of hours. Uh, and bedtime, we keep it really short, kind of 6.25, it probably starts 6.30 and, and the boys are in bed by 7. Typically, most clients, most people do work to, to at least a 7 to 7 schedule, so 7 p.m. bedtime. Um, the odd person might do kind of 6.30 or 6 p.m. bedtime if, got, if they're early risers, but generally 7 or 7.30 or even 8. So by the time my kids are in bed, I've got the chance to then work with clients who are going through maybe night one especially and then give them that additional sport between anything between 7 and 9 o'clock. I'm around, my kids are already in bed. I'm probably just watching a, a box set. We're on Homeland at the moment. I don't know why we decided to watch Homeland like nine years later after it first started, but we're enjoying it. But we're just typically watching a box set and, and, and kind of responding to people as I go along. I'm a bit of a, what do you call it, a phone junkie. The phone's kind of tied to me. I'm quick at responding. I, if you send me big, long messages, I'm probably not going to respond as quickly because... I'll probably not read it <laughs> all in one go, but I'm very much kind of quick fire on the text messages. But going back to your point, Chris, what, what I typically do is that period between about half five and, and seven o'clock, it's very much only answer my phone if I see a client and it's it's urgent because half five is when the boys have dinner and then we, we play around, we chat, uh, especially with the toddler, the seven-month-old isn't isn't that clever yet where he can have a conversation with us but we'll have we'll sit around and we'll just do family time and that's where I really it's not quite a no-go zone with the phone I have it there just in case but I typically try and avoid using it unless I absolutely need to just when you said then about kind of like your like you have routines and things like that and uh effectively the daytime naps as well uh say regiment I don't want that to sound like a bad word but like there's they're in such routines and things like that do you notice do you get a lot of clients who struggle with daytime naps as well as or as um evenings or do you get more people coming to you because they're struggling with sleep at at night with their uh their little ones it's a great question i think what we'll, what you what i typically find is that nobody really comes to me if their baby's sleeping through the night and they're just having some bad naps or short naps because I think most people 
the amount of people that don't get sleep during the night and still don't reach out because obviously there's financial reasons, absolutely. Uh, but also there's, there's the kind of element of maybe some people don't like sleep training as well. I, I, I see viewers online all the time about sleep training. Um, and I'll, I'll maybe talk about that in a second. But So not everybody wants to reach out, whether it's through financial reasons, through uh, viewers on sleep training, or they don't necessarily know how to ask help. And I think when they don't know how to ask help, but their baby's sleeping through the night, then they're typically not going to then come out just for, for daytime naps. I think the most people that I work with, it's sleep issues all around. So that includes nighttime, daytime. Um, there's no doubt once we start sleep training, daytime naps can be a little bit more challenging because once babies learn to know the difference between nighttime and daytime, which we can teach them from really a few weeks into their, their early lives. Um, they know there's a lot more going on downstairs or in the living room or in the kitchen or the activity areas during the day. They know at nighttime, everybody's in bed. It's, it's really dark, it's quiet, it's boring. Um, but daytime, they know there's toys downstairs, there's TV downstairs and it's much, it's, it can be a bit more difficult to, to get them to sleep during the day because of that. But typically when clients reach out to me, it's because their, their kid's not sleeping and, and the daytime's almost a boat on it for them. But if we could resolve the daytime, uh, sorry, the nighttime, um, they, they'd probably be quite happy with that. But that's not my style, my my objective, my, my kind of programme is designed to, to fix the two of them at the same time. Just wonder, because we, so like frame that question. So, Lila had colic when uh, when she was little, and we so coming up to kind of the first lockdown, we grafted really hard and sort of like routines and things like that. But then when lockdown hit, it almost kind of flipped. Then because we grafted so hard on routines for bedtime at night, she became pretty good at sleeping through the night and going to sleep at night. But then like daytime naps at times were all over the place. And just when you say, well, particularly in that first lockdown, if she had a day when she wasn't sleeping great. That at times provided as probably as much stress for us during like from daytime naps and then not sleeping because she was then in a bad mood and crying all the time yeah. as it did when she was sort of crying, like waking up in the middle of the night and things like that. So I wonder whether it, let's say you've got a lot of people who are like that, or whether people can go, because now she doesn't have a nap during the day or actually she's 14 months. It's like, we can deal with it. We can get her through it, but like we know she's going to sleep pretty well at night. So first of all, I would say she should have a nap during the day. She needs a nap. Oh, no, 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 sorry. <laughs> no, no, sorry, she does. But I say, we say as if, she, if she has a, sometimes she'll wake up after 40 minutes yeah. and then it's like yeah. a battle to get back. And anyway, yeah. so as if she's then grumpy throughout the rest of the day. Yeah. So like we can deal with it because we know if we get her to between six and seven, she she gets into a routine and she, she goes to sleep. I just wondered, like say if people, other people had come to you with that, going actually the, her not sleep or their baby not sleeping during the day and then being grumpy and or not sleeping as much during the day, being tired and grumpy was causing as much stress or more stress than like not sleeping at night. No, I typically don't get people coming to me for, for just daytime. They should, they, they absolutely should because like you said, daytime can be as, as stressful when they're not sleeping as, as it is with nighttime. But again, I think as parents, we're kind of, it's almost drilled into us before we have children that once you have a child, you're not going to sleep. It's like, good luck on the sleep. <laughs> you're never going to sleep again. Get all that sleeping in before the baby arrives. And yes, it's true to an extent, but it doesn't need to be like that. Um, and I think when, because of that mentality that's drilled into us, 
I think when we have babies that sleep during the night and then, do you know what, if they don't sleep as well during the day, we'll probably accept that because yeah. it's a lot better than what other people have. Obviously, I disagree with that because I, I believe that babies should sleep during the day and at night, and, and I can I can obviously help people with that. But I can also understand why people don't reach out for me out to me for just daytime yeah. because I, I think it's through the our, our kind of thought process and and the, the advertising out there from um, kind of typical publications and, and people mm-hmm. social media that you're not supposed to sleep once you have a baby, and I think we then just accept that. Anything is a bonus. Somebody on this call nearly keeps telling us that we're not going to get any sleep for another two years. Yeah, he just sits there smug, just giving you that look, and you ain't going to sleep. I'm lucky, though. I'm, I think I'm one of the lucky ones. I do sleep quite well with uh, with our little one. But, uh, yeah, Chris, like, what do you find most common with um, little ones not sleeping? Is it putting them to sleep, like getting a regimented bedtime, or is it then waking up in the middle of the night? What do you see more common and is the reasons for that? Um, the most common thing I can, uh, that I, I see, and it will come back to, to multiple things or one reason, but multiple kind of external factors, and that's multiple wakings during the night. That's where babies are not waking or not sleeping beyond maybe one, two, three hours at a time. And they're waking up regularly because of that. Um, and that could be because um, if they're a bit older and they're not feeding, they just don't know how to, to comfort themselves. And we'll come back to that in a second. But they're looking for additional feeds. They're looking for uh, their mum's breast. Um, they're looking to co-sleep. Um, they're, they're looking for all these things that ultimately is stopping them from being able to lie in their cot and go back, go to sleep and sleep for anything between 11 and 12 hours every night. And the one thing that all of these babies are missing is the, the skill of self-comforting, self-soothing, it's also called. And what happens is so babies have sleep cycles. Us adults have sleep cycles as well. Um, there are adult ones that are around about one and a half to, to two hours each sleep cycle. But um, babies, it's around about 40 to 50 minutes. So let's call it 45 minutes for, for ease. And babies will, and, and there are adult ones, will we'll partially wake at the end of a sleep cycle. Um, and if if we're not able to get ourselves back to sleep after that sleep cycle or into the next sleep cycle, the baby will wake. And that, that's probably what you'll find in Andrew in terms of during the day after 40 minutes. Uh-huh. Uh, Lila's sleep cycle's finished and she doesn't know how to get herself back into the next sleep cycle. She's able to do it. <clears throat> She's able to do it at night, but during the day, she, she knows there's a lot more going on downstairs, and therefore she's, she's probably, so A, not uh, able to to an extent, but B, probably not willing to because she knows she can come back down and see um, see you guys and, and, and play with toys. So it's, but that, that self-comforting skill is what is lacking in babies. Um, now, Adam, uh, your little one might have been kind of, born with that skill there might have been things that you actually did that you knew what you were doing or unwittingly did as as a kind of when she was younger that allowed her to self-settle um, but there's that skill is often missing and, and we have to sometimes teach our children to do that um, and because we don't know how to do that we often then feed that self-comforting by actually rather than teaching our baby to self-comfort we comfort them so we comfort them back to sleep through the and I, again I did it with my first, we were, my wife and I, we were feeding him to sleep with a bottle. So he only ever slept with a cuddle or a bottle. He was able to 
link up his sleep cycle. So he'd be able to sleep for, for a period of time at night, but he never learned that skill to get himself to sleep. Um, and as I said, a lot of babies don't. They're, they're getting fed to sleep, cuddled to sleep, rocked and patted is another one. Lots of kids only fall asleep in the car uh, or in the pram. Uh, lots and lots of babies co-sleep with their parents and there is absolutely no judgment from me, from me on, on parents that do that. Um, anything to get some sleep, absolutely. But then what happens is it's very difficult to break that and allow your kid to get the independent sleep that whether they need it or not, that's, that's a parent's choice. But ultimately we all have to learn how to independently sleep at some point because otherwise we'll be in our parents' bed for, for years. Um, and it's, it's, don't tell me you're, don't tell me there's any situation. <laughs> well, I said, I remember saying to him a few times, like, he's going to be in bed when he's 18. He'll be in bed when he's 18. Stop this, please. But I think he's big that's going to be a tight squeeze in him. <laughs> well, if, if he comes in in the morning, he's always like, Daddy, Daddy, you're too big. Get out, get out. <laughs> You, you, you're, you're actually lucky you're still in the bed. There's so many clients I speak to where dad's in a spare room in a camp bed or yeah. uh, on the living room, in the living room on the sofa because basically the, the baby co-sleeps because that is the only way that, the, that everybody can get some sleep. Um, and again, that's that's always something I can help with. But again, there's never any judgment from me on, on families that do that because again, we all do what we can to get some sleep. Um, sometimes it's through good practices and the baby being able to do it themselves and other times we do it through co-sleeping feeding the baby back to sleep mum giving breast to, to allow the baby to kind of comfort themselves back to sleep but again at some point either the baby will grow out or the toddler will grow out of that um, but if not then we, we have to teach them that skill of self-comforting self so that they can comfort themselves to sleep in any sleep situation uh, whether it be in their own room whether it be grandparents, whether it be on holiday. Um, and the more you can learn or teach your baby that skill so that they don't need any of the external kind of comfort things like mum's breast, bottle, white noise, uh, comforters, uh, dummy is, is obviously a big one. Then ultimately you're going to have a baby that's able to, to sleep all night um, wherever you are at home most of the time, but maybe on holiday or, or visiting visiting family. And I think that's, that's ultimately as parents what we would, all strive for is a, a baby that can sleep when you put them down and they're when they're tired when you put them down and wherever you are in the world what? i was going to ask you on um sorry andy um no, go on, mate. You go i know that. where you stand on this chris because i follow your stuff and I've, I've read on your website but you said the self-comforting and letting a child cry it out there's always um battles between you know i just know from training you know females and stuff in the past and being a new dad there's always that conversation between mm -hmm. oh just let them cry it out and you know me, but I I can't do that. I just couldn't do it. But like, where? What's your take on it? And advice for people, like you say, in self comforting yeah. and training that type of thing. So, most people that come on to a consultation or initial consultation with me, probably ninety percent of the time, will ask me that question: Do you let the baby cry it out? Um, and my response is the same all the time: um, Crying it out is not a form of sleep training. Um, yes, it can work, and lots of families do use it. And when I say crying out, for, for anyone that's listening that doesn't know exactly what crying out is, basically the form of you put your baby into the cot uh, or your toddler into the bed, and then you leave the room. And yes, you can go back in. There's 
different forms of, of crying it out. There can be control crying. There's also the Ferber method where, where you're going back into the room at timed intervals, in and out, in and out, to basically give your child a bit of reassurance. But the, the kind of the crying it out is, is in essence, you leave the child in, in, in their bed or cot and you leave the room. And it's basically, you're, you're leaving it to them to figure out how to get themselves to sleep. You're basically leaving them to figure out how to learn that key skill of, of self-comforting. Um, now, the reason I say that's not a form of sleep training is because sleep training is, is for me is, is a, a controlled element of comforting where you're basically staying with your child for a period of time. Now, there has to be an exit strategy because otherwise um, you won't necessarily just have your baby in bed with you until you're 18. You'll be in the bedroom beside the cot or the toddler bed or the, or the single bed or the, the, the teenage bed until they're 18 as well. So you have to have an exit strategy out of that. Um, but ultimately, you're with them that whole time until they learn the skill before you start thinking about leaving them. And that's the difference between crying out and, and sleep training. Um, but it's a, it's a very controversial view. And unfortunately, there's a lot of um, misguided information out there that, that suggests that sleep training and crying out are very much interlinked. And um, don't get me wrong, when I did my training, we, we talked about crying out, not crying out, but it's called controlled crying. And that's a form of crying out. And that's one of the techniques that you can use as part of sleep training. I just, I don't see it as sleep training. I, I refuse to call it sleep training. I refuse to use it as sleep training because it's not, it's not sleep training. It's, it's basically like giving ourselves a, some, being, being given a tool, a, D, a DIY tool, a tool to go and do a job and um, given a tool to use it. And you've never used it before in your life. And it's not as simple as a hammer. And you're basically given no experience, uh, no instructions, no experience to help you, no one to help you, um, and, and expected to then deliver whatever you've been asked to build. And when you're doing that for like a six month or a nine month old baby or whatever, that, that's pretty unfair. That's pretty harsh. Um, so I, again, that's why I don't believe in it. And most sleep consultants don't, will, will ever, they'll never use crying it out um, because of the controversial views around it. But what I do find quite frustrating at times in this world is um, a lot of sleep consultants will, will say, uh, I'll get your baby to sleep with no tears. And, and to be quite frank, that's, that's nonsense. Um, and again, sorry for being so frank, but you can never ever get your baby to, to learn how to sleep without having tears because you're basically saying to a child who is used to being cuddled to sleep, being fed to sleep with a lovely warm bottle of milk, being given a breast to sleep, which is like a dummy. It's lovely and you know, you just suck on it. It's irresistible. I won't even make jokes around men here. This is just <laughs> irresistible to, to babies. Um, and and they, it's just, they, they find it difficult to then suddenly be told that, or not told, but shown a different way. Um, and they, they don't want to do that. And if you, if you ever tell your child, whether it's baby or toddler, um, or show them a different way from the, what they're used to um, and they don't want to do it, they'll cry. They'll absolutely cry because they've got no other way of communicating that to you. So whilst the, sleep training will always involve tears, so I say that no sleep consulting can ever tell you otherwise, um, but what it's about trying to minimise that those tears and trying to comfort your child as much as possible during that process. But there, there will always be tears, but it's short term and it's, it's designed to be short term so that ultimately over the period of 
about two weeks is what I typically recommend to my clients that we can get this resolved. And within about two weeks, you then have basically a whole family sleeping again because when a baby's not sleeping, it's, it's not just the baby that's not sleeping, it's you. In fact, generally the baby can sleep because there's cuddle to sleep and most parents will do anything to get their baby to sleep, hence why they co-sleep, hence why they will sit up and do whatever they can to get their baby to sleep at the middle of the night. But it gets the whole family sleeping. And when you're when as mum and dad uh, or mum or dad when when you are sleeping and getting the sleep that you need you are a much much better parent and it's just because you've got energy when we're when we're not tired or when we're tired so there's there's nobody out there that can tell me they're not more impatient or they're not is the better version of themselves. I'm, when I'm tired, I'm, a, I'm that grumpy Scotsman that you can really imagine and where we're stereotyped for. I'm, I'm, I'm grumpy. I'm probably less patient with my boys. Uh, I'm less just patient around the house. I don't, I don't have the patience for, for naughtiness. I don't have the patience for playing games as much. So when, when you're sleep deprived, all those bad versions of you come out. So helping everyone sleep just makes for a, for a much better family all around. Mm. That was a bit of a long-winded answer to to, yeah. to crying it yeah, out. That's but. Perfect. <laughs> it's funny because I, I guess you boys, we've all probably felt the same at some point when you say, like, you say, you put the baby down, they're, they're crying, and things like that. You're there going like, you, you get caught in that kind of balance between right, I've got to give them the chance to try and sue themselves, but then at what point am I, you know, am I doing psychological damage to her in the long term by letting her mm-hmm. leave their crying? Where do, like. It's say it's quite interesting hearing that because that's that kind of sleep training like of that going after like two minutes or whatever comfort them put them down again and then leave it four minutes if they're crying or whatever and you keep lengthening the time that that like somebody told me about that and I was just like, that sounds brutal I'm not sure I could actually I think I'd end up in tears and things uh, yeah and and there is a lot of research out there to suggest that they crying it out whether it's timed intervals or and certainly. A lot, and I see it on forums. Um, I think it's quite popular, especially in the US. But when they, you do just leave them and you don't go back to them, you obviously you're probably watching on the monitor. There is research to suggest that there's a sense of abandonment that, that lasts with the child longer term. Um, and again, that's I guess that's what I can often find frustrating is that there's that link then back to sleep training when actually sleep training for a period of time, you will never leave your child until they go to sleep. Even if it takes half an hour or two hours, you will be there with them trying to give them a level of comfort. Um, And the biggest thing I always say to my clients is, even if they've been crying for a couple of hours, um, and I know I never, ever, ever try and minimize or downplay how upsetting that can be for for any mum or dad, Um, but they bear no grudge for it the next day. The only people that bear grudges ourselves on ourselves um typically baby wakes up smiling happy because they've had the sleep that they need independent sleep and they wake up so much less grumpy than if they've kind of had broken sleep through the night um and i think that's always a key message to people that sleep training yes it's tough and um there is there are tears but it's short term and the baby will never hold anything against you it's when you start looking at the crying out method, that's where there's potentially long-term implications because you are leaving them and you are basically saying, I'm out of here. It's up yeah. to you now to figure it out. Let me know how you get on type thing, which I, I don't think I don't think so nice. Yeah. 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 We don't do that with uh, clients, do we? We don't go, right, uh, 
dumbbell <laughs> bench press, crack on, go do it yourselves, lads. You know, like th- there's a training aspect, obviously. Yeah, I love it. Is, it is, is that interesting. What I was going to say is it is interesting listening to how you set your clients up and get as much background information and so you get a full picture and stuff because it's pretty much exactly how we set our own clients up for training. You know, it's not just like in the gym, right? 10 reps of this, 10 reps of that. It's, you know, goal setting, finding out more information about sleep, nutrition, lifestyle, what what kind of things are impacting outside of the gym and everything like that. So, it's- yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly it. I remember one time I had a consultation and uh, the mum asked me as I was kind of finishing off the consultation, she says, are you going to just kind of send me any kind of off the shelf type program and that's it? because I don't really want that. And I, I, I kind of got her concerns. Um, but ultimately, am I going to deviate from my programs too much? Probably not, because I know that they work. And it's the same for you guys. Like, yeah, every, every person's different. Their personalities are different. So one might prefer kind of boxing fitness because they've got a lot of frustration and anger in them. A lot, a lot of people might just like really pushing weights because... There's a there's maybe a kind of visual element to it as well. Obviously, there's there's object different objectives, but everybody's personalities are different. Um, so you may have a framework, and then you you fit the different personalities and people within that, along with their goals and objectives for for the training. And it's the same for for kids and the families. I may have a type of program that I use, but every family's different. Every baby is certainly different. Age is different, obviously. Personality is different. Family routines different. Different goals and objectives. Some people might just be happy that their baby's waking up once a night. Some want 12 hours a night, three naps a day, two naps a day, perfect naps, etc. Um, so it, it absolutely fits in that same concept that you have to understand who you're working with. And that's, I, there's nothing more I love than sitting down and have a consultation with and having bit of fun in the consultation, getting to know the people that I'm working with over the next two, three, four weeks, maybe even longer if it, say the baby gets a cold or something. Um, and it, so it has to be kind of fitting within their personalities, within their family, as well as um, just having a kind of off-the-shelf solution. It's like you were saying before, like with that, there's got to be an element of trust as well in terms of like them putting okay putting faith and trust in you and your processes and your, your programs and what like trusting that they're going to work but then also you trusting them that they're actually going to implement what you're telling them to do so that they get the the best results out of it and that's kind of well, pretty much exactly what what we're doing with uh with clients it's like you say we're, we're trying to get them to perhaps eat more vegetables have a source of protein with meals train more regularly but it's then how you everyone's going to need to do that but it's how you put that into exactly. people's lives that and, and that's why you need that i guess that trust that buying and that um uh, i guess being able to get on and get get fit into your, your clients lifestyles as well there's a science to there's a there's a science to fitness there's a science to, to babies that we talked to the, the sleep cycle um, and then it's just about understanding what's happening just now and how we can get to change that lifestyle and behaviours to then allow the baby to get into that sleep cycle, which again comes back to science. And so there's, there's definitely a link to, to how you do things in the in the fitness world. But let's not talk about fitness because I'll just start feeling bad about myself. <laughs> I haven't trained in about oh, two years. Or so. In fact, it's not it's not un, it's not gone unnoticed to me. That it's probably the last time I trained was when my before my toddler was born, which is a, a case with with many dads, isn't it? We we stopped training. Maybe not you guys, but. but- as we stop training when we have kids. Team, yeah. 
that's pretty much the topic of uh, our podcast most weeks is stuff around that. Um, but yeah, you can say you're going to have uh, Jones sliding into DMs later going, how oh, about I train you? And you could... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I, I know the, these lads are giving me sort of a bit of tongue-in-cheek and stuff about my lad not sleeping. He's like well-documented. He's he's three now and he's uh, he's been a terror, an absolute terror. But ironically, he actually slept through last night for the first time. God knows how long. Just randomly. He heard that he's coming on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But it was funny, like, everything you were saying, it's just like, I've just been sort of crying internally a little bit. Why have I not come this bloke a lot earlier? But pretty much everything you've mentioned about trying this, trying that, co-sleeping, bottles, feeding, up, down, left, right and centre sleeping in the spare room, staying in his room, allowing him to cry, but you're in the room with him and stuff like that. It's pretty much everything we've been through. But I was going to say, we, well, especially myself, I, I got into like a weird thing, sort of mentally going, right, it's just a phase. I'll get through it. It's just a phase. I'll get through it. And then before you know it, like a couple of months has passed and he may have, there'd been a modicum of improvement. So you think, all right, well, it's a little bit working so I can push through. Because, you know, you get to a point where, you know, my wife certainly did, where I just think, I'm done. I can't do any more. I can't do any more. And literally you get to that point and he seemed to sleep better, whether he's waking up less or something. So you have that slight release. You go, right, okay. And then, it's, then the whole thing starts again. I found just sort of, ironically, sort of sleepwalking through it. And then... Touch wood, like past sort of six months or so, he's been a, he's been a lot better. You know, maybe like once or twice a night, but he goes back within a few seconds. So what I get a lot of clients who are they reach out to me, then I don't hear from them again for a couple of weeks, and then I get I, I, they slip into my DM, and then they'll, they'll drop me a message, and then I'll not hear from them again for maybe a couple of months or whatever. So that's very typical. What I always say to them, or self-service up to them if they want to go ahead with sleep training, but phases, yes, kids do grow out of things, but at this age, they typically just go kind of in that up and down phase. Um, and yes, things might get a bit better, but they're probably not going to just suddenly change from being a, a, an average or a bad sleeper to an excellent sleeper that can sleep at the drop of a hat when you need them to sleep all night, every night. Um it's just about for those families it's just about what they're, they're happy with they either go with sleep training or they stick with what they are and accept that there's going to be kind of ups and downs um, but what I typically say to them is babies and toddlers don't typically grow out of that until they're, they're much older if they do um, there, there are people in the world that are not great sleepers as adults and mm. um, I, I've not really looked enough into the research I've seen a little bit but there is some to suggest that if they're not such good sleepers when they're younger, that will carry on because they, 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 there's so many adults that still depend on falling asleep with the TV on, with white noise. Um, not saying that they still use a dummy, but there's, there's external things there that, that they need to help them get to sleep. And I think if you've been a good sleeper as a child, that can help you become the sleeper uh, when, you, when you're an adult. So there's an important relationship there as well. What age do you typically get? I say clients or two, as in like the babies, do, do you work with them much past three, four? Do you get kids who are like kind of four, five, six who are still not great sleepers and or co-sleeping and you work with them to try and get them out of that or anything? Or 
work with kids really up till kind of age of six or seven. Uh, I don't typically get kids past four. I think when parents see kids past four, they think they're... I th- to be honest with you, I, I work with kids kind of three, three and a half as well. But, but even the message I get from them is, I didn't think you'd be able to, to sleep train a child at three. So I think when they get to four, I think if they're still not a good sleeper, most parents won't even think that, that a child could get sleep trained at four years old. But they can be. At that age, it's probably a little bit more difficult in one way because you've got um, the element of they can get out of bed, they can they they rule the roost, and they can do whatever they want. They can walk, they can talk, uh, and basically they control us as weak parents, shall we call it? Uh, but um, also at the same time, we're it's all about controlling boundaries and or setting boundaries and controlling what we want from them when they're that age, and we can do that a lot easier when they're when they're four than maybe when they're two when they're still toddlers they're still full of tantrums but they don't have the same communication skills that they do have when they're older they don't understand rewards as well which sometimes we do have to bribe them they don't understand what what it means when you can't come into mommy and daddy's bed so it does work at that age it's just a lot of people don't think it does but I, i typically work from babies from five months upwards um and i do find that babies it trains that trained at kind of five, six, seven months are much easier to train than when they get to kind of 12, 18 months plus. They're all resolvable, but babies, it's harder to hear the babies cry when they're only five or six months, yeah. um, but they pick up so much quicker because they're, they're a lot less knowing. Uh, they've got a lot less, they've had a lot less time to get those ingrained habits or those let, let those habits become more ingrained in them. So it is much easier when they're younger, but they can do it when they're older. Obviously, a lot of your sort of uh, your service is focused primarily on the, on the on the on the baby or toddler. Do you do any sort of additional help for parents? Because obviously, if they come into you, the kids not sleeping, high stress, not sleeping themselves, maybe self care has gone out the window a little bit. You know, nutritionally, etc. Do you do you sort of do any sort of work ons around that, or are you sort of more solely focused on? get the kid to sleep and, and the rest will sort of take care of itself that's from a business and the next business idea uh, <laughs> I, I i don't specifically within the consultation um but we and i say we my wife gets involved in a lot of the the marketing and strategy side of things um but then and maybe it's her female touch that's, that's helping that a little bit more but we do think about self-care and i i try not to say it to parents too much because parents will do anything they can to get their baby to sleep. They sacrifice themselves. They absolutely sacrifice themselves. So the last thing they need to say to me is, or for me to say to them is, let's focus on getting you to sleep um, or getting you sleep because they only want to care about the baby. But I focus by focusing on the baby, it will give them what they need is the self-care that, that comes from that. And yeah. because of the unlimited support that I provide, I, sometimes I don't need to tell them anything more than we've talked about in the consultation or what I've given them in the programme. Sometimes it's just being a, a little cheerleader and saying, you're doing amazing, yeah. well done, keep going. Um, sometimes it's just picking them off the ground when they're feeling a little bit dejected because they've had a couple of nights where the kids pushed back or maybe they've not seen as much progress as they have expected. Um, so the self-care I try and do is through that. Um, yeah. But ultimately, at the end of it, when they're sleeping, that's all they care about. They, they're, they're just so grateful for that's their self-care yeah. um, but I, I do try and think about self-care because I think it's important and it's obviously very very topical 
with the way that the mental health side of things has yeah. really um, rightly exploded over the last couple of years. And I don't mean exploded in a, a negative connotations. I just mean in terms of the way we're much more open about it yeah. in the world, which is absolutely fantastic. I know you guys talk about it with, I think it was with Luke a couple of episodes yeah. ago. So um, I think it's, it's such an important topic. I just try to do it a bit more sublim- subliminally because I, I think, especially mums, they don't want to hear that they're going to get some sleep. They they just want to get their baby to sleep. That's that's their sole focus. So I'm conscious that we're been around. And we're going to be running out of time. We're going to take up too much of your time here, Chris. So a couple of things to finish on. One quote off your website when I was doing a bit of research earlier on that I need to bring out. Oh, uh, I, don't I don't know if I can remember my website now. <laughs> it may not feel like it, but babies and toddlers love to sleep. And then I put a note with that. Take the mick out of Jones. Hmm. Um, <laughs> um, I just, sorry, I, we've spoken about that already. I just had to get that in there. Um, so, <laughs> go on then. So, th- if you had three or probably your three top tips that you could give parents to, I say, get the kids a good night's sleep, but obviously then indirectly get themselves a good night's sleep. Yeah. So, the first thing, and we talked about it at the start around the sleep cycles. Um, especially when your baby's really young, kind of newborn stage, the best thing you can do is learn to put your newborn down um, when they're getting ready for, for sleep, to put them down content. So nappy changed, uh, full of milk, but put them down awake. If you put them down asleep, they're not learning that self-comforting skill to get themselves into the sleep cycle. They're being helped into it. Um, so if you can learn to do that from when they're a newborn or if you try practicing that, what they will do is they will learn to get them to sleep themselves, which will give them that skill that they then just need all night. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to start sleeping 12 hours a night when they're newborns, but it will give them the ability to sleep on their own um, or get to sleep themselves and also sleep slightly longer blocks both day and night, whether it's a couple of hours in the day, whether it's maybe three or four hours in, uh, at night, even from maybe kind of four weeks onwards, they can they can start to do that. So that, that's a really important tip. Um, another one that people don't often think about um, is the room the sleep environment is so so important um, having a dark room is absolutely key I cannot stress enough to people get blackout blinds for the room for the baby's room um, it doesn't have to be expensive um, you can get ones from from your local kind of retailers for about 15 or 20 pounds that's what we use um, and they do the job and it will make a difference to your child's sleep very quickly because any bit of light will disturb them. Um, I'm going to give you two more. I know you asked for three, but I like four. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'll charge for that afterwards. Don't worry. Uh, routine is routine is so important. Now, daytime routine is very difficult to, to bring into um babies, very newborn babies, that will only kind of start to kick in around six or eight weeks. Now, that's not saying it happens, but you can start doing that from about six or eight weeks, whereas bedtime, you can really do it from day one of your, your child's life, um, giving them the bath, putting them into the pyjamas, doing it in a kind of darkish room or lightly dimmed room so that you're starting to show them the, diff- the difference between day and night time um, so that they know that night time is about sleeping. It's about being boring, it's about sleeping, and daytime is more about, yes, they'll have sleep, but it's more about engagement and stimulation and, and fun. Um, in terms of 
also again, not so just newborns, more actually kind of babies around three, four months upwards to, to about a year when they're still having milk feeds before bed. Feeding before and after the bath is one of my absolutely favorite tips because there's an intrinsic relationship between being a baby being full and sleeping better. So if you can get as much milk into them before bed, you're going to give them the best opportunity to feel, feel full um, and doing it I feed directly before the bath and then after the bath, um, before they go to sleep. Again, don't let them fall asleep on the bottle, um, but that will allow you to give them the, the best chance to have maybe just that little bit more milk, whether that's a bottle, whether that's uh, through mum's breast, um, and that will really help the sleep. I'll give one more tip, especially around toddlers. Toddlers are a, a different breed, um, as especially Jonesy will probably know. Um, the, but the biggest thing I can say around toddlers is it's all about boundaries. They're constantly wanting to see where your boundary is. And if you even if you push your boundary slightly higher one day, they'll want to go higher again. So the key is to have a boundary, what you're comfortable with, and stick to it. So if they want to start getting up at five o'clock in the morning, if you're acceptable to that, if you find that fine, then, then so be it. But if you don't want them to be getting up at 5 a.m., don't get them up. Because the moment you start getting them up at 5 a.m. because they want to get up, they've basically been given the the free reign, they've decided that 5am is the starting point and they'll keep waking up at that time. And then you get basically made a rod for your own back and, and doing that. So it's really about setting a boundary, sticking to it and being consistent with them. Cool. Bit like you, Jonesy, the other day when you slept in uh, his little tent in his room. Yeah. <laughs> when he was on about the other week. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. You just sleep whenever you want, mate. Can you sleep? I'm staying here. Yeah, <laughs> I just take him out on one of your dog walks at five in the morning with uh, Dexter in this weather and things like that, mate. He'd want to stay in bed all day, though. Literally, all, all, I'm, all I'm thinking about, like, as soon as he's a teenager, I'm going to make his life a misery. <laughs> <laughs> that's, all, that's all I'm thinking. I feel like we should probably say to Chris, he's joking now. He's not a Christian joke. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think there's a good chance that he'll make your life a misery before you get to him. I think he would win that race. Mm. <laughs> so, um, I think we'll call it a day there. So, uh, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. I think we've all enjoyed it. It's been uh, very eye-opening, I think, for all of us, for probably some of us more than others. But um, some of us got a little more of that. Since I think everybody listening will have got something out of that. And it's, uh, it's great to hear, because certainly for... Me, I don't know how you boys thought of this. Before we had Lila, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a uh, sleep consultant and that for, for kids. And like I say, I think it's probably something, if anybody listens to this who's either a brand new dad or is going to be a dad at some point, it's Chris is definitely somebody to check out on uh, on Instagram or wherever. So just on that, Chris, if people do want to get hold of you uh, and check out your stuff, where can they where can they find you? They can find me on at the Daddy Sleep Consultant on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, they can find my website, which is www.thedaddysleepconsultant.com and you, you can contact me by email, which is chris at thedaddysleepconsultant.com. I will um, try and get all those and tag link them all at the bottom of the uh, episode and that as well. But if it doesn't happen, you know, my uh, it's my rubbish computer skills, but I will try and put all that on there as well so people can come and find you and, and check out your stuff. So... Yeah. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You forgot. You forgot the main question. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. Go what? on, Joe. You ask it. What? So what, we always ask our guests at the end of each one because obviously it's called the Strong Dads Podcast. 
So what is a strong dad to you? I assume when you mean strong, you don't mean muscles because that's definitely not me. That's right, it's not me either, so yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's just Adam, that's just Adam. (laughs) So um, I think what what makes a strong, I think what makes a strong person, but what makes a strong dad is is someone who has the the ability to recognise their own weaknesses. Um, I think, well, we all have weaknesses. Um, Some weaknesses don't matter. But some weaknesses do, um, and I think the weaknesses that do, I think it's important to be kind of aware of them, recognise them, and rather than bury our heads around them, actually try and overcome them. Or not yet, I don't know if we're always able to overcome our weaknesses, but we can certainly work with them. We can we can try and improve them or or work work around them. Um, so to get a bit of an example. My biggest weakness is definitely around creativity. I am the least creative person possible. That's why I'm such a good sleep consultant because it's around consistency, routine, (laughs) uh, structure. um, And I I think it's sometimes difficult to do both. um, And I certainly am more a routine, consistency person than a creative person. Um, And so I have to really think about and, and plan creative games for my toddler especially I'm kind of sitting there racking my brains of what to do because uh, it's just it doesn't come to it's not second nature to me um, so I have to think about it I have to plan in advance which goes into my planning strength I have to plan um, of how to, to get the best games and creativity for him so I think for me that's what makes a strong dad it's just about recognising that we do have weaknesses as human beings and, and what we can do to, to try and overcome them or work around them the best we can rather than just deny that they, are, they exist and then kind of losing out as a result of that denial. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank cool. You. cool. So Chris, thank you so much. We've, uh, we've loved that. Um, so all that's left for me to say is if you've enjoyed today, obviously check out Chris and his stuff, but please subscribe to the podcast, uh, leave us like review rating, all that kind of stuff and obviously share it with your friends and I'm guessing pretty much all of us will know somebody who will benefit from listening to uh, listening to the stuff we're talking about today. Uh, thank you very much and we'll be back next time.